at uh, CLC. I, uh, Josh asked me to come and uh, take his place so he could get away, get some R&R. &R. And um, I'm excited, excited to be here. But man, it's been a long time since I've done this. You may not know this, but part of the reason Josh asked me this is in a previous lifetime, just like Josh, I was a youth pastor and uh, it was my dream job. I got to do whatever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to. We did caving and backpacking and four-wheeling and uh, climbing and rappelling. I took a trip to Russia. I mean, it was amazing, my dream job. But some stuff came along and uh, I needed a career change. And, uh, and so I uh, transitioned eventually over to being a pilot, but in the rocky road between the two, I was a school bus driver. I love driving school bus. It's ridiculous. Kids are so, you know, messing with a second grader's head as they're getting on the bus in the morning and saying something, it's just really enjoyable. And getting an eye roll from a kindergartner, that's the best, that's the best. So in reality, I'm a bus driver. I've driven church bus, school bus, and now I drive an Airbus. So I'm just an, a bus driver. And uh, you know, something, uh, uh, as Josh talked about this sermon series and I started looking at it and Josh and I were talking this week, I, I, I just, I really connected with the part of this, this story uh, for some very personal reasons. And uh, I was kind of pushing those back and as I talked with Josh about it, Josh encouraged me, he's like, you need to tell that story. And so I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version, but uh, uh, some of you might know uh, a month and a half ago, uh, I had an uncle that uh, had passed away and had a funeral. I couldn't go, but my wife got to go to that funeral, and it really hit me hard. And uh, the reason it hit me hard was not because I was really close to him. In fact, it was the exact opposite. I hardly knew him. I met him twice in my life. The first time I was fairly young and I hardly remember even what he looked like back then. And it hit me that because of choices that weren't mine, I didn't have, this guy's fascinating. I mean, he, he uh, uh, was an information officer and uh, had, had done all kinds of stuff for uh, um, working with drug enforcement and all that. He had a fascinating life. Uh, a cousin that would go on trips with him and he'd disappear for like three days while they were on a trip and then just show back up again. And, and it was just interesting. I wish I had a chance to know him, but I didn't. And uh, as I sat with that, the reason I didn't is because my folks were separated before I was even born. And my mom made it impossible for me to spend any time with my father's family. And I grew up with half of my family being taken from me. And uh, there's a lot of emotions that go on with that. And as you grow up, you're told, ah, it's okay. You know, God's got you. It's all going to be good. And you just kind of throw them aside. And as you start having things hit you as an adult, you go, wow, this is something. And uh, I would imagine that you have some complicated relationships. I've reconnected a little bit with my father's family, and it's kind of messed up stuff with my mom's side of the family, and it's complicated. Maybe you've got some people in your life that you're like, man, I don't know. Is it worth reaching out to them? Is it worth trying to rebuild that relationship? Maybe there's somebody that's come to mind right now is going, man, I wish they would acknowledge what they've done. I wish they'd own it. 
I wish, I wish they could see it, but they can't even see it. You know, that's, uh, that's where Joseph was. Joseph was. We're in the middle of a series that is called, uh, not called, but this is the question. We're answering the question, what would someone who is you do if they were completely convinced God was with them? Let me change the question just a little bit. What would someone who is in a difficult relationship, someone who is struggling in the relationship, do they were completely convinced that God was with them. I learned a lot this week and the last couple of weeks from uh, Joseph in this uh, whole thing. And I can't wait to share it with you, but we got a lot of story to cover. So if you want to take uh, your Bibles and start turning to uh, Genesis 40, and uh, we're going to recap up to Genesis 40 and then uh, get going from there. And uh, <clears throat> if you have those big giant Bibles, they're... Uh, uh, it's page 42, I believe. I wrote it down, but I can't see where I wrote it down. Anyway, I believe it's page 42. So last week or last time, Josh, uh, Josh left us with Joseph in prison. Kind of rude to just leave Joseph in prison, but that's where Josh left him. So how did, how did Joseph get in prison? Well, let's back up a little bit. Joe, uh, Joseph is the 11th son of Jacob. There's 12 of them. So he's the second youngest, but he's the firstborn of Rachel, Joseph's favorite wife, Joseph's preferred wife. Now he's got uh, those 12 boys have four moms. Talk about a complicated, messed up, dysfunction junction family right here. A lot of jealousy going on. So Joseph, uh, although he was the 11th, Jacob was intending Joseph to be the heir. And that made everybody jealous. And so they took Joseph and they ran into their cousins, the Amishalites, uh, and uh, sold him into slavery to them. And they took him down to Egypt, sold him to Potiphar, who happened to be uh, the guy who's in charge of Pharaoh's security forces. And he ends up getting accused by Potiphar's wife of assault, lands in prison. That's where we pick up the story. Uh, Joe was in prison. I wanted to read uh, the, the verse right at uh, the end of chapter 39. Here's Joseph sitting in uh, prison. And it says, the warden, uh, this is verse 23 of chapter 39. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, it's a good thing God told us that uh, God was with Joseph because I'm sure Joseph is sitting in prison going, I don't feel like God's with me. I just hit rock bottom. And uh, you might be going, yeah, how is that God with me? There's a lot of times God's with us and it doesn't look like it. And it's okay. Sit with it. Um, God doesn't always fix things. He helps us get through those things. That's what his being with us is. So while he's, while he's in prison, he, there's a couple of guys who are part of Pharaoh's cabinet that get thrown into prison as well. And these guys are the baker and the cupbearer. And the cupbearer, we don't really have that position anymore, but he's the guy that makes sure that Pharaoh isn't poisoned. 
he's kind of like the chief of, spa, uh, chief of staff. It's really important to Pharaoh. And these two guys end up in prison to have this dream. And Joseph hears the next morning them talking about the dream. And Joseph's like, hey, you know what? I, God inter interprets dream. Maybe I can help. Tell me the dream. They tell him the dream. And uh, I encourage you to go read the story because we've got so much ground to cover. I don't have time to go into detail on it. But uh, they tell him the dream. And he says, guys, here's what's going to happen. Uh, Mr. Cupbearer, in three days, you're going to be... Uh, put back in position, everything's going to be great. And uh, Mr. Uh, Baker, sorry to say it, in three days you're going to get executed. Okay, not great. So, three days later, sure enough, there's a birthday party. Pharaoh does exactly what Joseph said would happen. And uh, the cupbearer totally forgets about Joseph, and years pass. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And uh, the cupbearer goes, oh, that's right. This guy in prison, he can help out with dreams. So Pharaoh can't find anybody to interpret the dream, so they run and they grab Joseph. Joseph, being a hairy shepherd Hebrew, shaves, cleans up, because the, uh, the Egyptians hated Hebrews. We'll find out later on in the story, Joseph, even as in his position as prime minister, couldn't even eat with the Egyptians. So there's racism going on here. So he cleans up, shows up into, uh, uh, up, up with Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him the dream. The dream involves, again, we don't have time to go into all the detail. Dream involves seven cows and seven stalks of grain. And uh, the seven healthy ones get eaten by seven not healthy ones. And uh, um, Pharaoh's like, what does it mean? And, and Joe says, hey, What's going to happen is there's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine, and the seven years of famine are going to eat up all the plenty. And he goes, here's the thing. You need to find somebody who can manage the plenty and help you get ready for those difficult years, for those rough years. So Pharaoh's going, wow, this guy not only can identify the problem, but he take and uh, lay out what needs to be done and come up with a plan. I think this guy's the guy. And everybody in the cabinet says, do it. Let's make Joseph the prime minister. Put him in charge of this project. And so Pharaoh says, you're number two. Nobody can do anything without talking to you. You're in charge. Now, it's easy to go, all right, now I can see God's with him. He goes from the bottom, goes to the top. It's like a, a, you know amazing story arc, just like you'd see in the movies. And uh, you're not wrong, but just because Joseph's at the top, doesn't mean it's all good. It's lonely at the top. And uh, Joseph has a lot, a lot to wor uh, worry about. Part of his plan involves increasing taxes. All right? Taxes, nobody likes taxes. And, and people are like, what? You're increasing taxes based on Pharaoh's dream? This is ridiculous. And so at first, yeah, Joseph might be... Uh, um, excited to have the position, but he's got to deal with a lot of court politics. People are like, wait, what's this Hebrew doing? Number two in charge. That's not okay. What's, uh, um, wh all of this based on a dream? He's just, and there's always this backstabbing going on. Uh, you've got uh, economic unrest, the economy. He's got to make sure the economy together. And then once you start storing all this grain, all this stuff, you got to deal with mold, 
Parasites? Vermin? I have no idea. How many mousetraps do you set for a giant pile of grain? I don't know. Okay. He's also got to deal with, what about, what about people stealing it? Hey, I got this idea. There's this idea that the famine's coming. If we hang on to some of this embezzling, you know, these landowners, the oligarchs, they're like, you're taking my profits? I don't think so. There's a lot that Joseph is dealing with. And national security. You know, hungry people do desperate things. And he's got to be thinking, you know what, when those seven bad years come, these little storehouses better be well protected because there's going to be some people that are going to make some moves on them. And there might be some people that make some moves against us as a nation. We better be ready for them. So Joseph's got a lot going on. And in the midst of all of this busyness, there's still that hole in his heart dealing with his relationships. He names one of his kids Manasseh because God helped me forget my trouble in my father's house. He's got this hole right there going, mm, man, I want to fix it. And he's got to know that uh, at some point, the famine's going to spread to Canaan, to Palestine. And his brothers are going to come looking for food. And it's got to be going on in the back of his mind, thinking, what do I do? You ever had a relationship where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I see so-and-so. I really hope I don't have to deal with that. Let's complicate it. What would someone do who was in a complicated relationship if they were completely convinced that God was with them? So let's move on to chapter 42. I know you guys are probably like, good grief, he's flying through all this stuff. We're all the way to 42 now. And uh, um, Joseph finally sees his brothers. Chapter 42, verse 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? And he starts treating them like he, they might be those spies that he was talking about. And, and, and I don't know, Joseph's a strategist. Uh, and I know that from our kind of kind American Christian background, it's easy to go, oh, Joseph, you just run up to him, give him a big hug, pretend like it never happened. And I call that Christian dissociation. A lot of times we get through life pretending that we've done the work. And, and we show up on church and, yeah, things are good. And inside we're dying. We're dying. I know I was like that. Most of the time when I was a youth pastor, I had to live there. And, and that's part of the reason why it was like, it was time Rebecca and I were like, we got to start getting real with some things. And we need to get out. We need to deal with some of those holes in our hearts and go, I'm not healthy enough to be in this position. Uh, God pointed out to me, I was addicted to ministry. You know, how can you be addicted to that? Yeah, easy. It's called being an idol. And I needed to start going, whoa, there's been a lot that's gone on in my life. And, and my family was like, pretend like your father never existed. Pretend he wasn't there. Pretend that whole side of the family. You know what? Your stepdad, his family, they love you. Honor him. Don't worry about that. I even went and talked to, to uh, people that I respected in ministry. He says, hey, should I look up my father? 
basically, this is my favorite redneck quote from a redneck guy in the church I grew up with. Uh, uh, and he was from Texas. And he said, well, if it don't stink, don't stir it. <laughs> so, yeah. People I respected, my own pastor. You know what? Leave it be. Let it go. But what would someone do who is you if they are convinced that God is with them? It was hard for me that day. It took me a long time to pick up that phone to call my father for the first time. I, I had a short period of time where my mom as a strategic move, allowed him to be in my life when I was young, but I was told he's a cult member and he's just going to try to drag you away. And I had all these lies in there. And calling him going, I need a relationship. And what if what my mom said is true? What if what my mom said isn't true? I got to untangle all that. Relationships are complicated. Relationships are hard. So what do you do? How do you go forward? Well, let's take a look and see what Joseph, uh, what Joseph did. Here's the, here's the big idea today. The big idea is every relationship operates over the bridge of trust. Most important thing I learned in college, spent four years, had a conversation with my boss's boss's boss, and he scratched this out on a, on a pad and drew you know, a couple islands and a bridge in between. And most important thing I learned, and I've spent the last 20 some years thinking about this. When I go to Wendy's and I buy a hamburger, I give him my money first. Why? Because my relationship with them as a uh, customer, and them a vendor, is based on trust. I trust that I'm gonna give them the money, they're gonna give me the burger, that I ordered, with the adjustments that I ordered, and that the guy in the back isn't ticked at the company and didn't spit on the hamburger before he gave it to me. My relationship with that Wendy's, I don't even know the guy in the back. It's based on trust. When I drive through the mountains on a double lane, you know, two lane highway, and I'm going 55 miles an hour down Highway 9 uh, towards Kremlin, I'll go around the corner at 55 miles an hour, maybe 60, um, why? Because I trust the guy I can't even see around the corner is going to stay on his side of the road. My relationship, that's the most temporary relationship I can think of, my relationship with other drivers, it's based on trust. I, if I didn't trust the people at the red lights to stop, I wouldn't go through green lights. My relationship with the other drivers is based on trust. Let's go to the other side of the uh, pendulum. My relationship with my wife is way more vulnerable than it is with other drivers. It's based on trust. My relationship with my kids, based on trust, super vulnerable relationship. Every relationship operates over the bridge of trust. So because that's true, we need to value trust, we need to build trust, and then we need to repair trust. Part of the problem that Joseph's brothers had with Joseph is they didn't value his trust. They just saw that Joseph was annoying. Sort of like, you know what, let's get this guy out of my life. We don't need him. 
Well, now they don't know it, but their very survival depends on whether or not Joseph trusts them. These guys show up. Joseph starts asking them tough questions. They spill the beans that there's 12 kids. One of them's gone. Their dad's still living. And Joseph says, all right, um, I think you're spies. I'm throwing you all in prison. He throws them all in prison, lets them sit there for three days. And while they're sitting there, Joseph overhears them talking. Um... And uh, they say in uh, chapter 42, verse 21, and they said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how do not listen. Ever the hero replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give account for his blood. And they did not realize that Joseph could understand them because he was using an interpreter. He could speak Hebrew, but he was speaking whatever the Egyptians spoke. I have no idea. Uh, and, uh, and he's listening, and he hears that. And, and ironically, their admission of guilt and their acknowledgement that they felt it was actually building trust with Joseph. We'll come back to that in a little bit. So uh, Joseph's brothers, uh, finally Joseph says, hey, okay, you know what? I'm going to let you guys go, but um, you got to bring Benjamin back. Now, I, there's a big deal made about Benjamin here. And, and I want to point out the reason why it's such a big deal is because uh, Benjamin was Joseph's only full brother. He shared the, main, the same father and mother. And therefore, with Joseph being gone, Joseph was worried Benji was getting all the mistreatment he was getting. Because Benjamin, when Benjamin was born, Rachel, his mother, died. Jacob lost his favorite wife when Benjamin died. What might that have done to the dynamics back at home? Don't know. So he wanted to find out. So he says, you know what? You guys go back home. I'm going to keep Simeon here. You go back home. And when you get home, before you come back for any more food, you better bring your little brother with you because I still don't trust you. I'm going to let you go for now, but I don't trust you. So they head back home and they go to talk to their dad about this. And, uh, um, they, uh, um, bring him up to speed. And uh, Jacob, in his response, if you look at verse 36, he doesn't trust him. He's like, you guys, and, and you know, there's a little hint there in that verse that makes it sound like he knew that they had had a part in Joseph not surviving. He knew. He's like, I know you guys. These, these, these boys were not good boys. Uh, last time... Josh, and I gave him a hard time for skipping over it, but Josh skipped over a chapter and it talks about Judah and what a terrible person he is. And uh, earlier on, there's a couple of chapters that talk about a couple of the brothers that went and slaughtered a whole town just because they were upset. These guys are not good guys. And I know we think, oh, hey, they're heroes from the Bible. They're the patriarchs. They must be amazing. No, they weren't. And suddenly they're in this position where they have not taking care of trust 
and it's come back to bite them. Uh, the prime minister doesn't trust him, so he says, I'm not giving you more food because I don't trust you. And to get my trust, you got to bring Benjamin back. They go home, tell their dad, and their dad's like, I'm not giving you Benjamin. Last time I let Joseph be alone with you guys, he disappeared. I don't want that happening to Benjamin. So he's like, no way, Jose. So their dad doesn't trust them, and they're stuck. They're in a conundrum. It's important to value trust. Parents, kids, when they're little, man, they trust you. They think the world of you. Do you value that trust? Students, do you, uh, do you value the trust your parents give you when they hand you the car keys? Uh, my wife trusts me. My man, I don't want to break that trust. I value her trust. Um, society, our economy, is totally best based on trust. If that trust were to fall down, we'd have run on banks. We've seen it before. And the economy just totally fall apart. Trust is really important. And something I want to I point out that's, uh, something I've noticed, uh, especially I noticed, especially watching uh, teens back in the day. Control is an opposite of trust. When, as a pilot, I find myself micromanaging the guy sitting next to me, I realize I'm reaching for control. I'm not trusting him. Um, Passengers in the back of the plane, when they grab the seats, uh, the armrests during turbulence, they're trying to get some illusion of control over the situation because turbulence can feel like you're out of control. Uh, Rebecca used to be a very reluctant passenger, and uh, believe it or not, and uh, she would have trouble in some of those times. I'd say, pretend like you're flying because it gives you the illusion of control. And so there's one time she's literally doing this, and the guy sitting next to him is just like popping stuff to feel better and having a hard time. He's like, I forgot my meds and whatever. And she's like, hey, pretend like you're flying. And he calmed down. Trust and control are kind of opposites. And sometimes in our relationships, we reach for control because we don't trust that other person. And as we value trust, we need to say, you know what? Oh, I see that. And let me back off the control a little bit. And let me, let me reach for trust instead. See what I can do to trust. You know, Jacob was trying to control what was going to go on with Benjamin. He's like, I lost one son because I didn't control enough. I'm going to control harder. A lot of times trauma causes us to reach for control because trauma impacts our ability to trust. So, trust is important. We find uh, Joseph's brothers realize how important trust is, and now they've got to build trust. So how do you build trust? Well, let's see what, uh, what they did. Um, first of all, um, <laughs> Reuben, right at the end of chapter 42, makes this wild stab to get his dad to trust him with Benjamin. And he, and he takes and says, you know what? You can trust me. If I don't bring Benjamin back, you can kill my two kids. <sighs> Reuben, read the room. Jacob's going, I don't want to lose two boys. I've already lost one. Do you think... It's going to make him feel better to lose two grandkids? 
No. You know, sometimes we do crazy things trying to build people's trust. Some heroic gesture. And it doesn't work. You know, we got to kind of think about what does that person want to see? Uh, one of the best things that the guys did to build Joseph's trust is, first of all, they admitted what we did to Joseph. That bothers me. They admitted, they admitted it out in public, kind of. You know, the interpreters were probably still there. They were, they, were, they were kind of done holding that secret. That builds trust. When we admit things, when we're honest, when we're vulnerable, that builds trust. Um, I'm in a men's group, and uh, there was a guy that came in who'd been in church for years and years and years and years. And uh, he opened up about what was going on in his life. And uh, it's not someone who's been heavily involved in church should be a part of. But you know, because he took that step to be vulnerable, it was amazing to see how guys in the group, guys have a hard time opening up. We really do. We control stuff and we hold it in. We don't want to look weak. But a big part of building trust is learning to be vulnerable and say, hey, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Guys, are you vulnerable with your wives? Ladies, do you share things with your husband, even though it might cause a lot of dust to be thrown in the air? Got to be vulnerable. What would someone do who's struggling in a relationship if they were completely convinced that God was with them? Be vulnerable. The other thing that they did to help uh, build trust is they followed Joseph's directions. They paid for their stuff. They started heading out. They started working on, on uh, takes up. They, they went to, to uh, Jacob, said, we've got to take Benjamin back. And in fact, on their way back, as they get to their first stop, they open up the bag and find out the, the money they paid for the food is right there. And they're like, oh, man. Now he's going to think we stole the money because they didn't find it. Now we're really in trouble. We totally broke the trust. But they, they, they owned it. When they came back, they came back and said, hey, here's the money. We, we didn't steal it. They worked hard because they valued the trust. They worked hard to uh, build it. So um, I love uh, chapter 43, verses uh, um, 29 through 31. Because uh, eventually, um, and, I, and I skipped just a little bit. Hold on a second. Um, uh, let me pause uh, Genesis 43:29. Uh, I'll read that here in just a sec but before we get there um, it's interesting Judah Judah got a whole chapter dedicated to what a rascal this guy is and uh, um, but yet Judah he's lost that story that chapter tells the story of him losing two of his sons because they weren't good people and uh Jacob knows that Judah understands what it means to lose a kid. And Judah doesn't make some wild promise. He takes and tells Jacob, I'll take care of it. I will be responsible. I will own it for uh, uh, taking care of Benjamin. I'll take responsibility. And for whatever reason, that worked with Jacob. That, he trusted him. 
And so he releases Benjamin, and Benjamin's like, yay, road trip, and they, uh, they head to Egypt. I don't know. I would imagine Benjamin was just felt just, just crushed with, with Jacob just helicopter dad, not letting him do anything, not letting him go out of his sight. I would imagine he just terrified him. So they show up in, in uh, Egypt, and Joseph has been dying to see his little brother. And in verse 29 here, he sees him. Um, and as he looked about, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about, still keeping up the facade? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went to his private room and wept there. Joseph wasn't just sweeping the stuff under the rug. He thought he'd never see his family again. He thought his dad had never let his brother come. I, I can't imagine. Imagine the emotions that are going on in Joseph right now. Conflicting emotions all over the place. They built trust. And let me just, just encourage you, be patient in building trust. It takes years. It takes a long time. Can't demand it. Can't insist on, hey, you gotta, gotta trust me. You have to trust me. You can't, can't demand it. And, and here's the problem with this whole bridge between relationships issue. Doesn't matter how much we value the trust. Doesn't how, matter how much we build the trust. People still break trust. There are drunk drivers that cross over double yellow lines all the time. A good defensive driver, before going through a green light, trusts but verifies. Looks both ways. We use that all the time in the cockpit. Trust but verify. I trust the mechanic did the job. Go look and make sure that the engine latch is closed. There's a video on YouTube if you want to watch an airplane flying around with an engine latch that didn't get closed. And someone forgot to trust but verify. They didn't double check it. it uh, it's a frontier flight. And, uh, uh, yeah, right? <clears throat> Uh, uh, yeah, I could say more, but I won't. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, trust but verify because people do break our trust. Um, what do we do? What are we doing people break your trust? Let me ask you a question, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, let you think for just a second while I answer the question myself, but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be looking for answers from you guys. This isn't a rhetorical question. So what's the quickest way for someone to break your trust? So think about the answer for a minute. What's the quickest way for someone to break your trust? For me, it's lie to me. If you lie to me, sorry, I can't trust you. Because I, I, I don't know what else is coming at me. I don't know what you're up to. I don't know what your angle is. So lying is one of the quickest way. What are some other ways that people break your chest? Anybody? All right, when I'm driving down the road and someone starts drifting in the lane. They may only do it once, but immediately I'm like, whoa, I need to back off from that person. My trust in our relationship as drivers, it's been broken. Doing 
Yeah, yeah, unexpected. What's going on over there? What's happening? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Mm, mm -hmm. That's huge. It's huge. I can't trust you to be vulnerable. I was vulnerable with you. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of ways to steal. Lots of ways to steal. Ironically, because we don't trust, we try to control, and then that breaks trust. I don't know how many times as a youth pastor I watch parents do that with their kids. The kids are like, really? And the parents are like, but I can't afford. It's like Jacob with Benjamin. I can't afford for you. How about God's big enough? And that's the key. People break our trust. But God's big enough. What would someone do whose trust has been broken if they're really convinced that God's with them? There are times my kids would do things. I'm like, oh, they started listening to Eminem. <laughs> I was like, no. And Rebecca's like, hold on, hold on. It's going to be okay. And, and I'm like, no, please. And then, and, and, and so I had to apply some of the stuff that I had told other parents. And I sat with my kids. I'm like, so what is it about this song that connects with you? And I learned so much about my kids in that moment because I let go of control and I trusted that God has them. I don't. They're his problem, not my problem. So they're out of the house. I could say that easily now. Uh, and, and students, let me just say, you're at that age where you're starting to see behind the curtain. And there's a lot of things that uh, you've been told uh, the kids have left. What about Santa Claus? You know, you start realizing, you know what? Reality isn't exactly what I thought. And you got to start dealing with some of those issues of people breaking our trust. And I mentioned, you know, when, when our trust is broken, we can trust God. Here's a real tough one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a mess right now. And I'm going to let Josh clean it up next week. <laughs> so here's the mess. What do you do when God breaks your trust because he does because sometimes he does things that are unexpected we think I shouldn't be in prison I had, I had this dream about my, my family honoring me and they're selling me into slavery what's going on the Psalms are filled with stories of guys going what God what are you doing God breaks our trust. It's because his ways are higher than our ways. And again, Josh can clean up the rest. Um, so, uh, when someone breaks your trust, you've got to repair the trust. And um, a lot of times in uh, Christian circles, we do the, the Christian dissociation thing. And in the Christian dissociation thing, it's like, oh, you know what? I just love you. It's going to be fine. But that doesn't work. And here's why. Um, let's say um, this, uh, one of my son's friends comes to me who's struggling with work. He's having a rough life. And he's, he's got he's to borrow my car to get to an interview. 
I'm like, man, I want to help my son's friend out. So yeah, you know what? Um, take the car, and he speeds, wrecks the car, and he can't pay for it. So he comes back to me. He's like, dude, I'm so sorry, man. If I could pay for it, as soon as I can get a job, I'll pay for it. I will. And I'm like, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll pay for it. And uh, um, as in the Christian world, maybe you've, you've heard this about, you know, forgive, forgive and forget. And uh, to, to repair trust, there's, a, there's a, a kind of a simple equation that I want to kind of break down for you. And it's forgiveness plus repentance, two kind of Christian-y words that we'll break down in a minute. Forgiveness plus repentance equals reconciliation. Got to have both of those. And a lot of times forgiveness, we get this idea that forgiveness is just letting it go. Don't worry about it. But if someone wrecks my car, someone's got to pay for it. I could say, ah, it was a junker anyway. We're just going to let it go to the trash. I, I still lost a car. Even if I let it go, I paid for it. Or I can pay the deductible and get the thing fixed and it's back. But I paid for it. Forgiveness is not me just letting it go. Forgiveness is going, it's going to cost me something. And I'm up for that. Jesus didn't go to the cross just going, eh, we'll just let things go. It's just going to be fine. Forgiveness is actually an accounting term. And uh, the, accounting, the accounting idea is, is to, to cancel a debt, to go to the ledger and to put it out. And you know what that means? That means it moves from the asset to the liability column. Someone paid for it. Um, and, and forgiveness is also not absolution. And I, I'm not giving a technical definition of absolution, but there's a lot of times people, when they ask for forgiveness, they really want you to pretend like it never happened. So the, the guy comes back to me and says, well, you, you said you forgave me for break, uh, uh, wrecking the car. Can I borrow it again? I need to have another job interview. Guy's still a wreck of a life, has not done any kind of owning. He made excuses he, you know, uh, for what happened, didn't own it. And I'm like, yeah, you're forgiven, but no, you're not borrowing my car. He said, well, I thought you forgave me. You're holding it against me. No, I forgave you. I'm not making you pay. But it's foolish of me to just go, sure, I'll be vulnerable again. I'm going to open myself wide for you to break my trust again. No, that's not what forgiveness is. You know, God doesn't let us have a relationship with him just because he forgave. There's also got to be that repentance piece to this thing. The reality is, is forgiveness is, is really for me. Because if I go around wishing that guy to pay for my car and mad at him because he can't pay for it, you know what? My family situation, it can't be fixed. I, it doesn't matter what anybody in my family does. It can't be fixed. And, and again, that's where God's big enough. He puts money into my account so I can cover the cost of whatever someone else has done. That's what forgiveness is. So what is, what is repentance? Repentance, and uh, uh, 
a few weeks ago, I think maybe it was a couple months ago, uh, Josh talked about repentance and, and Jovi uh, uh, shared a great re- definition of it. And it was changing directions. If you look up in the dictionary, they don't talk about it that much. But in Christian circles, when we talk about repentance, it's recognizing I'm behaving this way. I'm doing this. It's not working. I'm hurting people. I'm going to stop. And I go and got to recognize I'm going the wrong way. And, and here's, here's, a, here's the thing is, is if I'm going that way and someone that I want to have a relationship is going that way, we're not going to end up together. There's gotta, we've got to be going the same way. And so in relationships, you've got to have forgiveness and repentance for there to be reconciliation. So where do we see that in the story? The brothers come back. Uh, they have lunch. And Joseph is uh, testing his brothers because, and I believe he genuinely had forgiven them in his heart. But a lot of times, because forgiveness is for me, a lot of times other people don't see it until, uh, until reconciliation happens. So we assume it hasn't happened if we don't see it. So Joseph, um, he wasn't being mean to his brothers. He wasn't messing with his brothers. But instead, he was checking to see, is there repentance? So he invites him over to dinner. He lets Simeon out of prison and they have dinner and uh, he treats Benjamin over the top. Gives him tons of extra food and watches. The brother's going to go, hey, what's, what's, that's not fair. What's going on with him? Nothing. So he's like, all right, let's go a little, little further. He gives them their food. And he tells his uh, personal assistant to take his special diviner's cup and stick it into Benjamin's sack and send him off. And then he tells him, when uh, uh, they get about a day's journey out, I want you to go back to them and tell them, you guys, I was nice to you. I believed you. I trusted you. And what did you do with my trust? You stole from me. And uh, so that's exactly what he does. The personal assistant shows up in their camp and he accuses him. And the guy's like, no way. I would never do that. How in the world would we do that? As a matter of fact, they were, uh, uh, they were indignant. Uh, uh, look at chapter 44, verse 6. When he caught up with them, he repeated these words to them. But they said, why does my Lord say such thing? Be far from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So why would we steal the silver or gold from your master's house? If, and, and here they are trying to build trust by some ridiculous statement. He says, if any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. How dare you not trust me? And then they searched. Imagine the anticipation starting at the first. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, not there, not there, not there. You know, the seventh kid, not there, not there. And I say kid. These guys are probably, I mean, Joseph was 30. So the others might have been 50. Uh, On down. And, And finally, they're like, yeah, told you so. And they get to the last one, they're not even paying attention anymore. And the guy pulls it out, and here it is. And their hearts just sink. Whose heart sunk the farthest? Judah. 
Judah said, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure. I won't let anything happen to him. We reach for control sometimes, and we can't control things. Things still happen. And the way Judah responded was beautiful. Just beautiful. They pack everything up. They rush back into town. And uh, they... Uh, 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 and I, I'm going to take some time to, to read this. Uh, Judah goes to him, uh, verse 16. What can I say, my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and this one who is found to have the cup. And Joseph says, nope, I'm going to let, he, he gives him an out. He says, nope, I'm going I'm to let you all go and I'm going to keep the guilty guy. And you know what? If they had not repented, they would have been sure. You know what? That's a good deal. <laughs> we, can, we, can tell, we can tell our dad, well, you know what? You were right to not let your son out of your sight. He's a theft. He's a thief. And they could have washed their hands of the situation and be like, whew, I got that guy out of our life. But they didn't. And uh, um, because of time, I'm not going to read what Judah says, but Judah spends the rest of the chapter going, guys, you, you have no idea. My, my father's already lost a son. If he loses another one, it's going to kill him. And there was genuine repentance in Judah. What would it be like if that person you're thinking of would repent in your life? What would that look like? What, uh, what would it look like to repent yourself. You know, God loves perpetrators as much as he loves victims. And sometimes we're the perpetrator. Sometimes we're the ones that needs to repent. What would someone do who needs to repent if they were completely convinced God was with them? I think Judah, starting to have a relationship with God, started to understand, I can do this. I can own this. God's got me. I'm gonna be okay. Chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence out. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And Pharaoh's household heard about it. Forgiveness plus repentance equals reconciliation. You know, it's okay to say, you guys aren't safe. You're not safe. I can't trust you. Um, I'm for forgiving you, but you're going to have to be over there, and I'm going to be over here. Uh, time's up. <laughs> That's Josh saying, Edwin, you're going too long. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to take and have boundaries and say, mm -mm, we're not going to go there. But when God's with us, sometimes we can take risks that we wouldn't otherwise take. And uh, Joseph says, come close to me. He says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was starting to make sense. So it wasn't you who sent me here, verse 8, but God 
Now hurry, bring back my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. Go get dad. I miss him. I can't leave. I'm too busy. Go get him. Bring him back. And uh, uh, verse 14, reconciliation. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward, his brothers talked with them. Reconciliation is beautiful. It's beautiful. It's expensive. It's dangerous. It's beautiful. Every relationship operates over the bridge of trust. Trust is so important. Trust gets broken. And it can be repaired. What would someone who is you, do if they were completely convinced that God was with them. Relationships are messy, but God's with you. Take a lot of work. Relationships are valuable. God has spent so much on relationships because he loves them. He loves us. And, uh, what relationship would you take a risk on if you were convinced God was with you? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Uh, I pray that the words that needed to be said were said and the words that should be left unsaid were left unsaid. And I just pray that we would be amazed at how trustworthy you are and how broken we are and how much you paid to forgive us so that when we reach out to him, that's repentance, just reaching out to, to you. When we reach out to you, that you would, you would reconcile with us. Help us to follow that model in the rest of our lives. Thank you so much for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.